Here and Now, the program featuring the news and interests of the African-American community. Here's your host, Sandra Bookman. Coming up, The Poison Garden, a new documentary that exposes long-standing racism in South Florida's criminal justice system. We're going to introduce you to the producers of this award-winning and important film. Also ahead, reconnecting fathers with their children. Meet the founder of The Fatherless Generation, the secret to recharging your health for the new year. A Navy vet shares how shedding 100 pounds changed his life. And later, changing young lives one hairstyle at a time. That's all ahead on Here and Now. Even as we prepare to observe the federal holiday honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a stark reminder of why the fight for civil rights was so important and, in fact, continues today. A new award-winning documentary takes a raw look at the history of racism in South Florida courts and law enforcement. The film The Poison Garden examines cases of torture, false confessions, and lynchings. Dating back to the 1930s, it incorporates original news footage and actor recreations of some of these tragic events. Take a look. I didn't touch her. She was scared, that's all. Please don't shoot me. He raped me. He did all the dirty work he wanted to do without any guessing. By force? For God's sake, you don't think I'd let a, a thing like, like that touch me. Joining us today, director Chris Mancini and co-producer Evelyn Santos. Thank you both for being with us this afternoon. Um, this is gut-wrenching. I, I, I want to find out, I know that you're a criminal defense attorney. Former so, prosecutor. Former, pro, former prosecutor, real tough guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so I, I know that, you know, there's a certain expertise you have when it comes to, to taking a look back at some of these cases. But how did this information even come to your attention? The uh, archives in Florida were purging their records. And uh, in order to save what I could from that purge, because I had gotten to know the archivist and, uh, before he died, and we had access to the 1930s files. And I'm not even sure those files exist anymore. Uh, we copied what we needed, and it was a real eye-opener as to what was going on in the 1930s in the economics of the Depression, Prohibition, and then what was happening with the Bahamians that had been brought to South Florida because of the Mexican Deportation Act. The result was blacks were starting to outnumber whites in South Florida by two to one. And it really led to a lot of instances of racial tension. And the next thing you know, in that three-year period, 1933, 34, and 35, the government of the state of Florida cracked down on blacks. They were gonna keep them in Florida, keep them from coming north during the Great Migration, but they were also very interested in trying to keep them in line mm -hmm. and to make sure that they stayed in their place. So they resorted to violence, which has been the history of this country over and over and over again. And it was the court system that was used as the tool mm -hmm. in order to accomplish that those tasks. So you see now today the discussions that we're having about authoritarianism in our courts and what might happen if certain people get elected and I'm seeing a repeat of what happened in the 1930s coming right back again. And these were state records. Oh my God, I, yeah. everything that we've written Everything here. that we did, it was based on the court's documentation, the transcripts, everything is real. It's mm -hmm. real stories, real facts. So yeah. that's nothing like a fiction. You know? Yeah, they can't accuse us of making up any yeah. of Yeah, because it was. <laughs> because I, I can't believe anyone would try, yeah. because if you know our history, you know we've had years, periods of this. Mm -hmm. And like I say, I'm afraid we're heading into another period of mm -hmm. it again. Can I, can I ask you, so Evelyn, what made you guys decide, you know what, this that we need to this needs to be a film we need to put this together in a way that people not only see what happened understand what's happening and why they need to care mm -hmm. exactly well the idea was exactly to not only tell the stories real stories back in the 30s but makes the parallels you know mm -hmm. what's happening today so the criminal uh, justice system is still the same, you know, we don't have the lynching, we don't have the 
um, the electric chair, but we have other forms mm -hmm. that is happening. So we want to really bring the attention to it. So that's why we decided to put, first we started as a play and then we do it as a film because we want to bring the attention right away. You know, mm -hmm. if there was a way for people to know, I mean, we can access more people to see it just to have in the play because then you have to move everybody here yes. and over there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in the movie, we know we, are, we apply for a lot of uh, festivals, we're getting all these attention, uh, but we want people to have access to the information, yeah. especially the young crowds, yeah. especially so, the young people, because so it, they need to know the history in uh, order to understand why we uh, things are happening today. You took yeah. the words right out of my yeah. mouth, and that there, <laughs> yes, my, my mom always would say, "There is nothing new under the sun." Yeah, your mom exactly. was right. Um, exactly. And, and I think this may be one of those cases yeah. where the evidence bears that out. I yeah. should mention you, you said, and you guys have been winning every award. Mm -hmm. One of the, I think, one of the most. Uh, important and telling the Pillar Film Award for Social yeah. Change. Oh. You were awarded that at the 11th annual Whistleblower Summit and yeah. Film yeah. Festival yes. uh, mm -hmm. at the National Press Club exactly. in Washington, D.C. It was really astonishing. I mean, to the point that I always, I always tell them because when I got the award, we were not expecting that. Really, I wasn't. You know, mm -hmm. it was so, so tremendous that when they asked me to go and receive the, I was so like blind, so overwhelmed that I couldn't say anything. <laughs> I just she said, thank said, you so thank much. You. Thank you. Yeah. And I left okay. the <laughs> because well, can you imagine it was having such an honor to have this impact uh, award? Yeah. So you know that 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 means and that's saying something right away. Yeah, we, so, and like, you talked about the fact that this is based on real life, yes. true cases, yes. mm -hmm. and you've included in the film uh, several of these um, yes. the Scottsboro Boys yes. which uh, little, many people the little Scottsboro, Scottsboro, Scottsboro yeah. Boys right, right, right. Uh, many people are familiar with well Chambers versus Florida which mm -hmm. I studied in law school was the little Scottsboro boy case mm -hmm. so back in the dinosaur era when I went to law school <laughs> I actually I had no idea that I'd be actually researching what happened in uh, the little Scottsboro case. And talk about why that case is so important? Because Chambers versus Florida was where the Supreme Court said you cannot torture people in order to extract confessions. Mm -hmm. And yet, about four years ago, we had an instance in South Florida where a Coral Springs police officer put a kid in a bathtub, yeah. black kid, and tried to uh, light him up with a taser. Mm -hmm. And it would have killed him. And of course, that go this story goes on and on and on in various forms. But the point is, no matter what the Supreme Court announces, we still have to have people at the lower levels that enforce those rules. Yeah. This is the big concern everybody's having now, again, about the election. Mm -hmm. What happens if the president, our new president, decides to ignore precedent mm -hmm. and order, orders from the Supreme Court? Yeah. The norms that we operate under is the key to the society. If When it works, it's great. it's great. And when it doesn't when it work, it's not such a great place to and be. And you're sort of reminding people with a film like this exactly. that there's a reason some exactly. of these things are in place. Exactly. And, and, and there's a reason why we have to be proactive. Yes. Uh, if that's what you, how you want to live, you have to be proactive yes. about it. Yes. The Scottsboro case, they, these young men were accused... Of murder. Of, of murder. Right. And they were not guilty. Yeah. But all the the only evidence against them was the tortured confessions. Mm -hmm. That's they, it. They were tortured four into four times. The Sup Florida Supreme Court said, "Go ahead and execute them." Mm -hmm. It took Hugo Black, who became a Supreme Court justice, who was a former Klansman, to decide that that was not going to happen. Yeah. The public South Florida was so upset by the fact that they had been promised four executions in a day by the sheriff because that was going to set a new record for the United States of America that two years later they lynched Reuben Stacy. Mm -hmm. And there is a direct line and that's from the little Scottsboro boys to Walter Williams right to Reuben Stacy. And those are the three years we talk about in the movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I want to ask you, Evelyn, talk to me about the title. The poison oh, the garden. The poison garden. <laughs> well, actually, this is like a metaphor, mm -hmm. right? But Chris was reading a book, and then he said, oh, I think I got this poison garden. Because when you think about the metaphor of you have something that pretends to be something, and, and actually it's not, you know? So when you look at, in, in our case, because we're talking about the stories of South Florida, everything looks like a beautiful garden. But actually, it really isn't, mm -hmm. because when you look down, the, all the dirt and all you know those, those things that's going on, and that's kind of uh, making a, um, a similarity with the criminal justice, you know, yeah, because right. it doesn't look like it, it's a beautiful garden, especially when you come, to, you know, have some innocent people, you know, being. Uh, 
you know, persecuted and they go to jail, you know, and they have or nothing to, to do. I mean, you have to put into death, you know. So that's that's why we call the poison guard. The name uh, actually. The title was a long one, but mm -hmm. we felt the Poison Guard would be more well, catchy. And it has a lot to do with what's going on. Mm -hmm. With not only back then, but but, but, but it's still you said, it's still happening. That through exactly. line. Actually, it's I got today. that from Nathaniel Hawthorne's uh, story about Goodman Brown. Mm -hmm. Goodman Brown goes out into the woods one night and finds his wife and everybody else worshiping the devil, and he realizes, wait a minute, these are supposed to be God-fearing Puritans. Mm -hmm. Okay. Things are not always what they appear to yeah. be. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people that will say, oh, you know, why, why are you drumming up the past? Because <laughs> um, it's not the past. Mm -hmm. The past is still the present. You know Whatever who said happened that? there, you know, it's still happening today. So Faulkner said that. He said he the past say. is not dead. It's not even past. Yeah. And that's true, so true when it comes to the criminal justice system. I mean, I was a chief of the United States Attorney's Office. I handled all kinds of... Uh, criminal and civil cases. I represented uh, Muhammad Ali Jr. and his mother when the Muslim ban came, mm -hmm. came up. And I saw the hallmarks of that racism clear as day in what uh, President Trump did with the Muslim ban. And then I saw it trickle down through the Justice Department and people that I worked with found themselves telling me, I don't want to do this. I'm being forced to do this. That's the job. I can either quit the job or I have to obey the orders that I'm given. Mm -hmm. That's not a country I want to live in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, earlier this year, the NAACP had put out what they call the travel advisory, right. basically saying that uh, Florida was right. hostile to black Americans. Still and is. they were asking black Americans not to go there. And certainly um, the information in this film, and I might, I want to keep saying that based on the state's own records, mm -hmm. what, what you've done here. Uh, it, it certainly gives you a, a, a new perspective on, on the significance mm -hmm. of that advisory. But look what's happening in Florida. It's a testing ground for all of these attacks on the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment. The 15th Amendment, we lost those congressional seats in the northern part of Florida when they were gerrymandered. Uh, Ron DeSantis passed the Stop Woke Act. Our film has been banned been from all the public yeah. schools because it might make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That's the standard in the Woke Act. Excuse me? You should be uncomfortable yeah, about that's the, this. Yeah. This should make you stop and say, wait, wait a minute. And yet we're slowly, and yesterday or two days ago, they announced that they're going to no longer offer sociology as a mandatory course. This is not by accident. This is all by design. So what we do is we just bring the truth back to life mm -hmm. and, and remind people and, yeah. and remind people there's no exactly. getting away from this and wait just wait it could be a lot worse and I, I talked about the fact that you guys are getting awards at these film festivals mm -hmm. left and right what's what reaction have you been getting from audiences oh incredible i mean it's just being fantastic i mean we be getting people coming and telling testimonies you know the experiences that they had you know my 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 uncle had this experience. I was from New York and I moved to Florida. I never had this, so I'm so grateful that you guys are telling the stories. Uh, because it, you know, those stories need to be, we need to have the attention to it. You, get, you need to bring the awareness. And people were really responding so well that we were just like, wow. We're blown this away. Is, we're blown away, really. In New York, we plan on bringing some of the victims of NYPD mm -hmm. racial violence mm -hmm. to the stage and actually provide testimonials in connection with it because we believe that if this film has any effectiveness it has to be seen as a local matter mm -hmm. and the story that we talk about in the poison garden has happened in every city in this country so it's this particular documentary is specific to florida yes. in that you use cases and yes. the history there but you're saying in a sense, it's been the history of America. It is. Exactly. And New York has had its own history. Mm -hmm. Abundant examples of that. Chicago, L.A., and everywhere we go, people mm -hmm. come up to us and tell us the same story. One of the people that's been very helpful to us, Herman Lindsay, runs the Witness to Innocent Project. Mm -hmm. He gets up and he starts talking about almost nine years he spent on death row, only to be exonerated by the Florida Supreme Court. And when they exonerated him, they said he should never have been charged in the first place. So when he gets up and he says that, you can hear a pin drop. No one says a word. Yeah. It's that personal testimony mm -hmm. that makes the difference is, in, the, in a story, stories like this. Is it your hope that your documentary will 
change things. Sure. Oh, but that's that's, that's the, the purpose. Plan. That's the plan. Yeah. That's the mission. We don't to see, really, yeah, to we really don't see the point of having a movie just to be a no, movie. No, absolutely. I, I mean, we yeah. can do, we have so many contests. We can do another another movie about another situation. But that's our mission, is to mm -hmm. really bring this awareness, to bring the history. So people will understand and say, what can we do to change? Because it needs to be changed. You know, people are being repressed. Uh, the criminal justice is being just a little bit too much, you know, just some people benefit from it and some other people suffering from that. So we need to bring this to the light in order to, you know, bring equality. We'd ask Fairness. anybody that wants to see this movie and join with us to come and talk to us. Mm -hmm. Talk to us on the website. If, if we can actually um, coalesce people of similar interests, people who have the same objectives and needs, then there's no stopping the reform that the system has to have. But mm -hmm. the purpose of the system and the way it exists is to divide and to conquer. As long as we're all siloed in our separate little places, mm -hmm. the system does whatever it wants. It's only when we get together and say, okay, this is the truth, this is what the Constitution says, this is what we should be doing, that's the only time that's any only change time. will happen. It's crimehistoryinc.org yes. is your website, yes, and we can take a look at the work that you really made, your life's work there. <laughs> yeah. There's a trailer for the film. Mm -hmm. um, it is definitely something that everyone needs to see. Thank you. The film, The Poison Garden. Thank Chris, you, Sandra. Evelyn, thank you so much thank for joining you. us thank this afternoon. Us. Thank Appreciate you for it. Us. Thank you. When we come back, the fatherless generation and its mission to re-engage biological dads with their children. Stay with us. The National Institute of Health reports that fathers' involvement with their children has a positive impact on mental, cognitive, and social development. The Fatherless Generation Foundation, Inc. is dedicated to re-engaging biological dads with their children. Here to tell us more is the founder and CEO of the Fatherless Generation Foundation, Dr. Tori Evans-Barden, affectionately known as Dr. Tori J. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you started the foundation back in 2009, I understand, and this was personal for you. Talk to us a little bit about that. Wow. Yeah, it was personal because at 31 years old, I met my biological father. And shortly after meeting him, it then delved into me realizing there were more individuals like me who needed to know who their fathers are and they needed to reconnect with them. And so I went on a quest to do that. And I can tell you that meeting my father at 31, you know, you think you have things together, you think you're successful and you meet someone. And I collided with a man who had my DNA makeup, who had things that I didn't know that I needed. And it really opened me up to understanding my divine purpose in life. And, and you wanted you felt that there was things that you learned and after you met your father at 31 that you would have liked to have known maybe when you were 10, 12, you know, five, had that influence in your life? Absolutely. Dads develop us and they develop us in areas that moms can't. And I know as much as moms and single moms are out here doing the best that they can, there are specific areas that dads are just designed to develop influence and impact our lives. Everything from self-esteem, everything from, um, I was a shy little girl growing up. And I realized now that was because I didn't have the impact of my father just telling me how beautiful I was or just encouraging me on a day-to-day -day basis. I recognized when I met my father that he gave me the ability to heal from trauma that I didn't even know I was experiencing. So knowing what you know now, the mission for your foundation yeah, we're reuniting fatherless children with their biological fathers, all while providing resources and services that are going to help elevate, support, and really influence the commitment to fatherhood. And then my complete and total vision is to eradicate fatherlessness through, through reunification. And there's so many children out there in this country that are growing up without their dads, yes? 
Yes, there are more than 25 million and we're the numbers have been coming down. And I can appreciate that dads who grew up fatherless have now turned the tables and said, I grew up fatherless and I don't want my children to experience that. And I can commend those individuals who've done that. So tell us how this works. Does someone come to you looking for your children or are there people that are saying, I know my dad is out there, I'd like to get, how, how do you go about reunifying folks? Now, this is the interesting thing. Are you guys ready? 85 to 90% of my reunifications come from dad looking for their children and saying, at 21, I made a mistake. At 25 or 30 or whatever the age is, how do I rectify this? Or I got a divorce and through the divorce, I've lost a contact with my children. Um, dads are looking for their children. And and once that happens, I mean, you do you, you reach out to the other side to see if they want to talk, if they don't want to talk, what, what are you, because look, I, you know, I've introduced you as Dr. Tori J. You are a certified cognitive behavioral coach and practitioner. So all of this reunification work is oh, right yeah. in your wheelhouse. It is in my wheelhouse. And I got those certificates because I recognized how much we had cognitive issues as fatherless children. So there were things that I actually have added since my PhD because of that. So when a dad reaches out to me, we have to look at his situation. His situation could be he he was with a woman and they just dated, you know, and they were never married. And so because they were never married, a lot of dads, especially even in New York City and the New York area, they don't realize they don't have any parental rights, none, zero. So you're going to have to go to court for a minor child in order to gain access to that child if the mother doesn't want that to happen. My initial step is to use our private investigator to locate mom. I do not provide that information to the dad until the end of his phases. There are four phases that men must go through. And so we find the mom, we reach out to her, we find out the situation from her perspective. And then if it is something that we're saying, okay, this is just a difficult situation. She doesn't want to cooperate, not because of something that he's done, meaning abuse or things of that nature. We're going to move forward and help him gain legal counsel and walk him through the process of gaining parental legal access to his children. A lot of people, you know, go, well, how do you do, how do you get attorneys to do that? We have attorneys in the New York area who work with us on a low bono pro bono basis. We really um, position ourselves to have a wheelhouse for dads who make $45,000 or less and they're on child support. We are getting to pay into the services, but they are also getting it at a price that they would never get it at. You know, I'm, I, there's so many questions circling around yes. my head when, when <laughs> yes. you said sometimes the mother doesn't want to be connected. So I'm, I'm, um, it, because I think in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's, this is great. This is terrific, but I know how I am. And you call me and I don't want to be called. There's going to be a fight, be a fight somewhere. But what I'm hearing from you is this is really about trying to do what is best for those children. That's what it is. It's for the best interest of the children. Children need their fathers, children at home thinking about their fathers. Let me go to my situation. I recognize that I needed my father at a certain point. I needed him, but because I was being raised in this household where my mother was a strong woman, she was doing everything she could possibly do. My mother worked at General Motors. I didn't want for a thing. How am I supposed to tell my mother that I need a father? How am I supposed to say that at this point? And so you don't say anything, you're suffering in silence. We really learn what children want through our beyond fatherless peer groups that are around the country. And children are constantly saying, I want my dad. My mother and father are upset with each other and I can't allow let me be honest. I can't allow you being bitter and upset with someone as the reason as to why the child doesn't get to have access to their father. But I'm also going to work with both parties if they choose to work with me to get them to a place where they are co-parenting or parallel parenting. I'm going to work with the father to get him the emotional and mental health and the coaching that he needs. Our process is holistic. It's not just legal it's not just a private investigator. There are coaches, there are therapists involved to get dads to the point where they're not only recognizing the father they needed to be, but they're recognizing the father that they also needed. And have people come to you and you realized after spending some time working on this that, no, I don't need to reunify you with, with your family because you still have issues. Absolutely. <laughs> that does not, it doesn't always go the way that we want it to go. I recognize certain behaviors and patterns and I say, nope, this is not the time for that. 
this is not, no, you're not, you're not in a position to be reunited with your children at this point. So know that I am going to push that button if necessary. It's not as often as you think. I can say seven times in the years that I've been doing this, I've had to do that. And, and how would you estimate, how many people would you estimate fathers and children have you managed to reunify? Um, I'm at 8,400 fatherless children, and I believe the number for fathers is 3,271. And so we've done a lot of work over the years, <laughs> and it's not always through a court system. Sometimes it's mediation. I'm a Georgia certified mediator, mm -hmm. and I've expanded that mediation outside of Georgia as well. But I have put things in my wheelhouse to ensure that our process is holistic, safe, but also successful. Uh, it sounds like you've had quite a few success stories. Any one that you'd like to share with us? Oh, my. <laughs> I have I a lot of the spot. That, yeah, no, because there's so many that I like cling to. Um, oh, wow. Well, I, I have I'll, I'll, I'll talk about um, Mr. Sesum. He is somebody who's I talked to him last week. He's so important to me as an individual because I remember it being rocky. I remember it being bumpy. I remember sitting down with his ex-wife and she wanted nothing to do with him or him having access to the children. We actually reunited them on a nationally syndicated radio show and it went well initially and then it fell apart. But I can tell you that after reunification, stepping back, coming back, Mr. Sesum now has one of the most beautiful relationships with his children than I could have ever expected. I watched him um, be at his daughter's prom, his, his baby girl's prom. I watched him, you know, go to her graduation. I've seen things now that I even recognize that he can sit and tell me on a video that you've made me a better man. Mm -hmm. And his current wife says the same thing. She's like, anything Dr. Tori J wants, we're there to do it. Because they recognize that not only did I reunite him with his children, but I have now been able to speak into his life and give him tools um, to help their marriage and help him as a man. Now, you are based in Atlanta, but you've got offices around the country. And I understand you've expanded to Africa. Yeah, I'm just coming back from Africa. I'm two weeks. I think it's I think it's two weeks. I'm not even sure what day it is. <laughs> Sandra, someone said daylight savings time already happened. And I was like, when? Yeah. So, yeah. But no, we're um, we're in seven different cities as far as offices. But we service 33 states in the United States. And now we have expanded this business to South Africa. We're in um, we're expanding to all nine provinces as of this morning in South Africa. We're in Zambia, where our headquarters um, for our Africa offices is in Lusaka, Zambia. And Lagos, Nigeria is our third country in Nigeria. I've just been there eight and a half months and just getting back to the U.S. And to, to take advantage of, of the assistance that you offer, um, does do you have to come to the office or do you also do this via online? You can start the process online. You start the process through the website online. If you are a, an adult who wants to reunite with their father, you just click the link that says, I want to reunite with my father. And if you're a father looking to reunite with your children, you just click the link that says ready to reunite with my children. No. And so when you click that, it makes it very easy for you to type out your story and we get it. And then we start intake from there to see and, if we can help. Yeah. It is a service that is definitely needed. TFGF.org. That's the website, right? Yes. TFGF.org. And before I go, I have to ask you, how satisfying is it to be able to help other people the, the way you were helped by finally being able to develop a relationship with your own father? Satisfying, I think, might be one of the words. I will definitely, I put it in a position of this is my divine calling. Little did I know growing up as a fatherless little girl in a small town called Kalamazoo, Michigan, that this was my destiny. I didn't realize I was going to school to be an OBGYN. I knew I would deliver babies. And I want to be clear that although I understood I was going to deliver babies in a certain way or that was my idea, I now recognize how God would have me to do it. And it has healed me. It has continued to allow others in my presence to be healed. And I am... I am blown away that I could even be used in this capacity in life, that my own trauma would be something that once I healed it would be something that could help heal others all around the globe. Right. Dr. Tori J, a pleasure to meet you. The Fatherless Generation Foundation and that website one more time, tfgf.org. Thank you so much for sitting down with us.
Thank you for having me once again. It was my pleasure. We'll be right back. The secret to recharging or boosting your health for this new year might depend on what's in your blender before it ends up in your belly. According to the CDC, the U.S. spends $147 billion annually on obesity-related health care. But one Navy veteran whose determination and discipline helped him turn his own chronic health issues around is now helping others do the same thing. Here today is the founder and juicing officer, or I should say chief juicing officer, of Selful Organics, Alton Weeks. Hi. Thank Pleasure you for being be with here. us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. All right, Mr. Mann. Yes. You seem to have found the secret to a much healthier life. Oh, yeah. Tell me what started you on this journey. Well, several years ago, I was 293 pounds. I was overweight. I had high blood pressure, borderline diabetes, inflammation, asthma, chronic pain. So I was just a hot mess and I had a heart attack. Mm. So that heart attack said, hey, something is wrong with you because this is a matter of life and death. Mm -hmm. And I went through the process of you know, getting treatment for the heart attack and my cardiologist put me on seven medications. I love the fact that you carry these around because you want to illustrate the fact that this is what I was taking. Yes, this uh -huh. is a reminder to myself that you were on seven pills, seven medications that was not going to help you. We had to find a way to educate ourselves and find out how can we do something holistic and mm -hmm. that's what I did. Right, and, and what led you to the juicing? What led me to the juicing is because the medication I started to research and one of the pills had eight side effects. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how is one pill with eight side effects is going to help me? So I told my physician, I need to try something holistic. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna start juicing. I had no education. I didn't know how it was going to work. I just figured I'll go to the store, put everything together that looks good and come up with a juice. So I came up with this juice called the Green Belly, which oh. is our biggest, and that's how um, I came to the juice. The Green Belly juice. The Green Belly juice, because everything starts in your gut. Mm -hmm. And it was all green. And it was all green. And did everything you put in it, because I don't want to ask you any of your trade right. secrets. Right. I actually do want to ask you, I but know. I don't want <laughs> to be told no on TV, right. so I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> uh, but you can't tell us a few. Right. One or two. Well, I, a green apple and kale. Okay. Those are the two top. All right. And and how long were you juicing this was, green belly before you started to see and feel results? I did this for about a year. Mm. And then my cardiologist noticed all my numbers started to change. And he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I respectfully, I said, I stopped taking your medication because that wasn't helping me. All so, of them? All of them. And I tell people, if you're on pills 30 days, 45 days, 90 days, when does it kick in? Mm -hmm. When does it start to work for you? So I told my doctor what I was doing, and he started going through. This is the guy I was telling you. Mm -hmm. He said, in all my career of practicing for 30 years, you're the only one that has reversed this. Mm -hmm. In this way. In this way. Yeah. And that led you on a much bigger project because now it's not just about you. You decided right. to use the information that you had managed to gather, put together, and seen success exactly. with um, to expand, expand your juicing and try to pass this secret onto other people. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, because I thought if I can do it, and I know there's other people probably having these same health challenges, how can I get them to understand that maybe a juice might be in your path? I'm not trying to diagnose you, treat you, or cure you. I just want to show you another possibility, another way that might be helpful for your condition. And so maybe you should try a juice. And to be clear, you are not suggesting that people throw away their no. medication. This is what worked for you, and this is what you chose to do and found out, maybe this is how I need to be living. Mm -hmm. But you are saying, getting um, these nutrients the natural way into your system mm -hmm. 
you may be able to wean yourself off of some of those things because you don't, won't have the issues Absolutely. you had that led to the medication. Absolutely. So what, what the research shows is that um, the fruits and vegetables, the fruits are the cleansers mm -hmm. of our body and the vegetables are the rebuilders of our cells. So when you take in a cold pressed juice, you bypass the breakdown digestion part of it and you absorb more nutrients, vitamins, minerals, and live enzymes quicker. Therefore, giving your body the opportunity to heal itself by bypassing that breakdown of solid foods. All right, okay, doctor. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> no, 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 you, you know what you're talking about. You've gotten certifications in this area. Oh, yeah. Um, because you've taken this uh, very seriously. Very seriously. And I understand that you gave up meat. I gave up meat, but I don't consider myself a vegan. Because mm -hmm. one of the things I tell people, um, I go by the school of thought of eat right for your blood type. Okay. There's a lot of people walking around, they don't even know what their blood type is, <laughs> but they know everything on the dollar menu at McDonald's. <laughs> we got to change our thinking. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm blood, I'm blood type A, and I started to look at what are all the foods that are great for blood type A. There are some people that are blood type O. They need to eat meat. Mm -hmm. So you want to understand what's your blood type. Yeah. So you're, you're, I think you actually said it better than I could, that you're telling people pay attention to what you're putting into your mouth, what your body truly needs, not mm -hmm. just what you see on the menu or what you think right. you want. Did you find that your appetite for certain things started to change? Yes, because what I noticed with juicing is it curbs your appetite and then you lose the cravings for sugar mm -hmm. and for salt. So right away, the chips, I threw the chips out. So those went away and did anything that had salt in it. It was like it regulated how I was conditioning myself to eat more natural foods and taste. Everything you say, you are just reeling me in. Now you decided after seeing this, your success and, and feeling your success, that you probably needed to turn this into a business. So I know you started with the, I wanted to call it the green monster. I know that's not it. The green belly juice. Yes. And you've expanded. Yes. So we started with the green belly because that was the first juice that got me off seven medications. So I was like, I need to try other recipes and see what juices would be great for inflammation, maybe something for chronic pain. And I just started experimenting. So we had the Good Morning Sunshine, which is carrots, apple, pineapple. We have Heart Health, which is our beet better. Mm -hmm. It is beets with apple and ginger. And then we have our vanilla protein, which is a meal replacement, mm -hmm. but also to give you energy. Mm -hmm. and then we have the spicy cleanse. Spicy cleanse is an overall belly wash, I call it. <laughs> I love <laughs> your excitement. Uh, excitement about the products. And they all taste good. And they all taste fabulous because when people taste the green juice, they're like, I never thought a green juice could taste this good. Mm -hmm. And I said, because you haven't tried ours. And this way, people won't be afraid to create their own green juice. That's what I had to do. Yeah. We have to explore the things that are in the earth. I tell people, what do you think greens, trees, plants, spices, and barks are in the earth for? It's not for decoration. <laughs> yeah, it's not, or yeah, or just, yeah, just the decoration on the food right. when we get to the fat exactly. and the salt and the sugar, right? Exactly. Because I think that's where most of that little parsley, yes, that's going to that put parsley. the green. Yeah, Yeah. I'm from a casserole family, <laughs> oh, so I know yes. about that. Oh, we're going to throw the parsley on there. <laughs> and we've got 18 sticks of butter Woo. with some macaroni in there. Um, so you run what's called the juice lab also. Yeah. So the Juice Lab is the educational arm to sell for organics, where we go into our communities, our senior centers, our veteran centers, our home, our after-school programs, and we teach the benefits of juicing. Mm -hmm. We talk about nutrition, what juicing does in your body, the cold-pressed portion of it, and how you too can benefit from some of the techniques. Now, in these these classes, these labs, do you find that um, younger people are more receptive or, 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 or is there hesitant, a mixture? Hesitant at first because uh -huh. they're like, this is green. <laughs> Anything green to anybody don't look good. But once like they mine. taste it, 
then they're like, wow, this tastes fantastic. Mm -hmm. So that is the part of the education of it, is letting people try different things out and okay. see which one they gravitate towards. Okay. And where can we find these products? So Self Organics is an e-commerce website. People can purchase online, but we're local here in New York City, and we ship local, and we ship nationwide around the country. Mm -hmm. I also should add that you do exercise. Oh, I do exercise. I mean, you don't look all this glorious without yeah, getting up and moving. Yeah, like, this is what 60 looks like. 60's looking good on you. you. Know, so. Thanks to, what is it, the green belly juice? Thanks to the green belly. <laughs> <laughs> now you, are, and I want to add, we've said that you are a U.S. Navy veteran. Yes. You are a certified juice therapist and yes. a holistic health practitioner. Absolutely. So th you have, through trial and error and your own uh, hard work and good fortune, discovered that this is, is a healthier way to this live. This is a healthier way to live, because what I was doing was not working. Okay. All right. So, thank so you. nice to meet you, you Alton too. Weeks. Great to meet you as well. Southwellorganics.com, and they can find out information not only about your um, the, the juices you offer, but about the juice lab, so they can actually educate themselves yes, about what you're doing. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for thank coming you for this having afternoon me. and I appreciate making me feel guilty. That's okay. <laughs> One right. juice at a time. One juice at a time. <laughs> we will be right back. It has been said that our hair is our crown and glory. Well, our next guest is taking that concept one step farther. She is using her hairstyling skills to change young lives. Joining us today, the founder and CEO of the I Am Hair Beauty class, Vakila Wilson. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Sandra. So, having me. And you, even when we see the name, yes. this is more than just about hair. So tell me what the H.A.I.Hair stands for. I am hair stands for I am hopeful, I am amazing, I'm important, and I'm resilient. And those words are so important to me because I believe when you're young, it's important to know how to affirm yourself and speak positivity into your own self and starting your day in that way is just so important to me. Now, you have been styling hair for how long? 20 years. Yeah, you started early. Straight out of high school. First I'm of all, you're only 20. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because I'm only 15. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but straight out of high school, I just knew that I loved to do hair. Mm -hmm. And I went straight into beauty school right out of high school. And what do you think that meant to you? Um, I mean, it, not only learning those those skills, mm -hmm. but also just really, you know, having some direction in your life. And 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 as as I think your parents probably said and mine did, it kept you out of the streets. Yeah, yeah. So gr hair for me just allowed me to be creative, allowed me to express myself, and I knew, I just wanted to share that with others. So out of high school, my parents weren't the most supportive about mm -hmm. becoming a hairstylist yeah. because it always seemed like you need to get a real job. This is, not a, <laughs> this is a hobby, and this is not a real job. And I'm like, no, but I really love to do hair. Like I mm -hmm. stuck to it. And I signed up for beauty school on my own, right on 34th Street. I'm like, I'm going to beauty school. And I went to beauty school and I've met so many different people. And I just found, I just loved it so much. Mm -hmm. It just lit me up every time I would walk, there, walk in that building. So I just stuck to what I believed in. And what made you decide that, that, that your hairstyling skills was maybe the way to, you know, get some other young people um, uh, interested not only in styling hair, but also, you know, in the seat so you can actually talk and work with them on, on other life skills. So I've, well, one, I was, I've been doing hair for 20 years. I found my niche in doing children's hair because mm -hmm. I realized parents needed trusted hairstylists. So I worked in a children's salon and I seen, I'm like, we have a hundred kids on a waiting list. I realized that this is a neat thing. So I've, I've done so many children's hair and I didn't realize that the kids will look up to me because there's something special about someone that you can trust that's doing your hair, that connection, the parents trusted and loved me. So I'm like, I have to take this a step further. Mm -hmm. I've I always loved doing hair, but I, I felt like I needed something more purposeful and more filling. And I knew that the way hair made me feel, I knew that other kids can connect with that. 
So that's when I'm like, I have to create a class. A lot of kids would want to learn how to braid. I'm like, I'm going to create a class. I didn't know how I was going to start, how I was going to do it, because when you have an idea, you don't even really know how to start, if people are going to support it, if they're going to believe that you mm -hmm. can do this. And I just took a chance. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna do what feels right for me. And I started the class, and I, I didn't know the name. And that's when I knew. I'm like, it has to be bigger than just hair and hairstyling, because I struggled with my own self-esteem mm -hmm. and how to affirm myself and self-love and I'm like I want all of that to be implemented I do want to teach them the skill of hair but I also want them to I also wanted to teach them how to love on themselves and yeah. even fixing your own hair that's how you show up in the world it's a way that we all get to express ourselves we wear our hair in all different styles and I knew that um having a meaning behind the name would connect well with mm -hmm. them and also teaching them the skill at the same time. So what are you, what kinds of things are you teaching them? Yep, so I'm teaching them primarily just um, natural hairstyles, braiding, uh, a lot of our uh, youth, they don't know how to braid because we've lost that connection in the home. Usually Sundays was known to get your hair done. Our children are blessed. They're, they're getting their hair done at two years old. Mm -hmm. So that connection, they're totally missing it and they don't know how to braid and mm -hmm. they want to know how to braid. So me teaching them how to braid, how to properly like use a flat iron, different products to use on their hair, how to maintain your hair, just natural washing. How about just a simple thing as take care of your that. own mm -hmm. hair? How are you showing up for yourself? Not so much depending on your mom or your dad, because they're busy too. And when you're eight, nine, ten years old, it's important for us to show our children how to be responsible for themselves. And that's a small responsibility that you can have that you can take pride in. When you can take care of yourself and get ready for school. And somebody's like, who did your hair? You're like, I did it. It feels so good just <laughs> even they... being able to show up and say, I did my hair, or I did my friend's hair, or I did my whoever here it's, it's just a proud proud thing so. and and once you you know they're in the course with you and how long are these courses and usually about six to eight weeks mm-hmm because you're not just teaching them how to do a box braid how to do you know you're teaching them life skills yeah What's the feedback and how do you go about getting those other little lessons in there while you're teaching them how to do the braiding and, and you know, flat ironing or whatever? Right, so because I'm already exposing them, usually most of the students that do my class are interested in here. So it's not much of a tug or a fight for them, right? They're there, they're coming, they're excited. But I also include things like being an entrepreneur. What does that look like? Financial literacy, about products, about, um, Wholesale. What are the benefits? We, we go down to 28th Street. We go to wholesale. Mm -hmm. And uh, what does that look like based um, wholesale versus your local uh, beauty supply store? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? How could you? So I'm able to slide those little things in because I already have their attention. I already gained their attention because I met them where they're at. They and love they trust beauty. you. They love yeah, beauty. Yeah. They're into hair, nails, and makeup. So I just believe meeting our youth where they're at. They're already investing into these things, mm -hmm. you know? So I try to teach them the proper way to do it. And also, um, when, when you're an entrepreneur, it's not just about the, the work that you're actually doing, the braid. You know, mm -hmm. you still have to know your books. You have, to, you have to market. You have to run your social media. How are you getting your clientele? How do you show up as a professional? So I'm able to show them that also by being there and leading in that way. Yeah. What's the feedback been like? And do they discuss, you know, kids, especially, you know, preteens and teens start to want somebody else to talk to besides mom. And, yeah. you know, girlfriends will tell you one thing, but sometimes some of it you shouldn't be listening to. But it sounds like they found in you an adult that they trust, they feel comfortable with, who's they see that you're kind of on their side, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, correcting them. What's the feedback from them? Do they talk to you about um, other things. life things? And, yeah, absolutely. So because um, it's a it's a great thing when you find someone that can share the same interests. Because like you said, mm -hmm. a lot of our teens, mom or dad or grandparents might not understand your level of creativity. But when you meet someone like a Miss V, who can understand what it feels like to be creative and to be different and this is a safe place salons are known as safe places so i like to have my class my workshops as that safe place to to be yourself and we have different conversations about i try to just show them their worth i think giving them the skills allow them to say don't settle 
You you got this. You got this. Work on constantly invest in yourself. That's those are the conversations that we always have. I um I also have an internship program. So yes, I, I so mm -hmm. I rehire some of the girls that are in girls and boys. I rehire them back in to have an opportunity of leadership. They love that. They love to be able to be in the program and now teach it to someone else that might not know. And it doesn't seem so far-fetched because when you're 12, thinking about 18 to them, it sounds far. Like yeah. 18, I gotta wait till I'm 18 to work. So when they're 12 and they get to work right away six weeks, eight weeks later, they love that because it, it, it shows them that they are important, that we do believe in you. So the, the parents, the feedback is like, thank God, you know, thank you. Thank you for seeing my child, for giving them this opportunity, for showing them a skill that I might not know. And um, for them, they just feel like I can just relate to them. Now you are, do you offer scholarships as well, is that? So I've, mm -hmm. I'm, I've offered two scholarships so mm -hmm. far, okay. and I want to offer many, many more, right? But um, I grew up in NYCHA, in New, in New York City housing in Brooklyn, so that's a connection for me. So I've given a scholarship to a young girl that's in NYCHA. I've also given another scholarship to a, single a, a young girl who was in a single parent home. Mm -hmm. Because I do understand that this class is different between needs and wants. And yeah. although I feel like this is a need because they need to learn this skill, I know some parents are struggling financially and they might not can't afford what their child is interested in. Mm -hmm. You're busy paying the bills. You might yeah. can't afford swimming or, or air class or something like that. So I acknowledge that and I see that. So any chance I get to give back and be able to bring um, a young one on board, I'm definitely going to do that and I plan to do it way more. And IamHairBeauty.com, yes. that's your website, yes. so folks can find out more about the wonderful work that Vakila is doing. Absolutely. And is there a way for someone to help you with this? Or do you take donations? What's the... Absolutely. So we do take uh, donations. You can go on my website. You can sponsor a kid. Mm -hmm. You can say, I'm going to sponsor one, 10, 20. Uh, usually our classes are no, no, uh, not bigger than 15 students. So I like to keep it 15 just to be intimate, to be effective, to make sure everyone is learning. So if you want to sponsor a whole class, we will definitely go and uh, reach out to the youth that are in NYCHA, that mm -hmm. are in single parent homes. Those and are the ones that are going to get the scholarships first. So starting the new year, we're starting classes January 6th. That's Cost? Yes, so it's a course. Each uh, student is $600. Hmm. This includes a six-week class. It also includes the hair kit. What they get in the hair kit is the mannequin and all of the supplies for the class that they get to keep. So if I teach you something on Saturday, you're going to work on that every day until the next Saturday. We're checking, check in, see what you did. So every week they have an assignment because yeah. we're trying to distract our kids off of the social media and the phones yeah. every day, all day. So this gives them something that they can do to feel proud about because you can actually take a picture and post this on your social media. Yeah. What are you posting? Post your work. Post what you're really yeah. good at. You know, yeah. so I'm trying to just change that, the way that they show up and know that it should be more purposeful. The way you're showing up, let's let's have a reason behind it. Well, Vakila Wilson, you are showing up. Thank you. Again, that website is IamHairBeauty.com. Yes. What a pleasure to meet you. And yes. you are doing really important wonderful work with a God-given skill and talent. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you very much. much. Thank you so much for having me. And we're located in Harlem. <laughs> we are serving our Harlem community and all over. I get girls from Brooklyn, Queens. Bronx, you are a great everywhere. entrepreneur. <laughs> you really Thank are. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for having me. I really all appreciate right. this. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on Here and Now. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can watch at abc7ny.com. If you'd like to comment or share your story, email us at abc7ny or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. I'm Sandra Bookman. Enjoy the rest of your day.